Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Welcome to episode 6 of the Future of Australia podcast. In this episode, I interview Jason Ryan, the founder and CEO of JJ Ryan Consulting, an engineering consultancy that grew 97% last financial year to now do nearly 900000 in revenue after only a few years in business. We discuss how he signed a nine-year government employment contract when he was just 17 before he fully knew what an engineer did, then how he became the general manager of an airport in his early 20s after a chance encounter on a flight. We cover building trust as a new business, managing multi-billion dollar assets against large established competitors. Why he is creating an additional business around custom built software tools for engineers and will pivot into a global engineering consultancy. If you are looking for a team of skilled and experienced engineers, designers and project managers that focus on problem solving check out jjryan.com.au. That's jjryan.com.au. So I'm here with Jason Ryan of JJ Ryan Consulting. Um, So I just want to start, Jason, by asking you sort of um, what's your background? You know, what did you study before you you set up the business? Uh, What types of jobs and uh, companies did you work for prior that sort of led you to where you are now? Yeah, no worries. So I grew up in Mackay in North Queensland and when I was around 14, my parents moved to the Gold Coast and while I was at school, I was working jobs like Woolworths and so forth and doing air cadets, which I enjoyed. And then I did pretty well at school and then after school got offered a scholarship with the Department of Main Roads and I was offered a scholarship to study engineering at Griffith University, so I was pretty lucky with that, and I accepted the the job with Main Roads and ended up doing full-time work and full-time university, which I was able to balance because luckily with Main Roads being government, they had a flexi-time arrangement, so I could accrue hours during the university holidays, and then during exam periods, I could take extra time off to cram and study. So that's, uh, yeah, that's basically where I came from and how I got into doing engineering. My dad was a, a builder and my mum was in the police originally and then I ended up getting her a job at Main Roads while I was there as well. So we got to work together for a bit, which was cool. And then after that, I, I basically finished uh, 
studying my undergraduate at Griffith, so I did a Bachelor of Engineering in Civil Engineering with Advanced Studies, and I finished with uh, First Class Honours and the University Medal. And being government at Main Roads, it was very hierarchical, and so I'd had four years' experience as an undergraduate and basically started applying for jobs that were past the graduate level, and they they asked me not to do that. So after having been there for four years, I decided that I'd go to private industry, who I had three different offers from, and I ended up moving to Sydney to work for SMEC as a highways and a bridge engineer. And so during that time, I got more of a passion as well for the consulting side, and it was fun living in Sydney. I was single at the time. I hadn't yet met my wife, and uh, basically, yeah, had fun in Sydney and then set up the company when I was 22. Oh, wow. So, so that's the, the current consultancy that you're running. You started when you were just 22. Yeah, but I didn't do anything with it for four years. So it was just sitting there dormant, basically. So I I worked for SMEC, who was a big consultancy for a while, and then I went to work for Sydney Ports as an assets engineer. And there I was being groomed as a future manager for um, asset management. And while I was at Sydney Ports, I was doing a double degree at the University of Technology Sydney, which was a Masters of Engineering Management and MBA. And I was also doing a grad cert in Port and Harbour Engineering at Swinburne University. And I did, I worked at Sydney Ports for a few years and then I met the managing director of Queensland Airports one, one flight home to the Gold Coast from Sydney and we exchanged details, had a good chat on the plane and about a year later he asked me if I could come up and if I'd be interested in potentially working for Queensland Airports as a general manager and I was 23 at that stage and didn't really know what a general manager did but I thought that <laughs> sounds like a pretty good opportunity. So yeah, I was pretty lucky to be given that. I, I, I'm lucky that I look a bit older than what I was at the time and essentially, yeah, it's like a three-year contract to be a general manager and got thrown in the deep end there and enjoyed it, which was nice and then at the same time, so when I went up to meet with Queensland Airports, they asked me what JJ Ryan Consulting was, and I said the company that I've started and I was negotiating a contract with Gladstone Ports Corporation would have been our first contract. But I was basically excited about the opportunity to gain experience under an engineer, Dennis, who was a managing director at Queensland Airports, was an engineer with about 40 years' experience. So I was keen to learn off him not only engineering skills but the business side of things as well. So... I ran a company called Qual Services and I had a team when I got there of about 12, which grew to 20 and we were working on a lot of big airport projects throughout Queensland and basically um, three months after I moved up, I'd met my wife, my now wife, which was awesome, it was love at first sight and she was moving to Melbourne and I said, if you if you agree to stay with me on the Gold Coast till the end of this contract when we get married and have a baby, we can move. And so that was kind of the catalyst and she's the backbone of everything that I've done. So the catalyst to move was at the end of that contract, moving to Melbourne and starting the company full time. And so that's that's where it went from there. But yeah, before before starting the company full time, that was pretty much where it started. Well, wow. yeah, yeah. So you sort of migrated south, kind of all the way down the coast, right? Starting at Mackay, was it? Then ending up all the way down in Melbourne. You sort of did the entire. Uh... Yeah, coast, coast, bit by bit, East Coast. Yeah, so I think that you mentioned, something you mentioned was really fascinating. In two different environments, right, you're the same person at sort of 21, 22, and the government's sort of saying, 
um, slow down, um, you can't apply above your level, it's very rigid. And then at another company, they're saying, you seem sort of smart and you've got some experience and like a good guy, you know, how do you like to be general manager of a dozen people? Was that sort of shocking to you, that sort of almost different worlds, but you're the same person between them? Yeah, it's just interesting the difference between, so government is very, like I was saying, hierarchical where you kind of have to earn your stripes and people don't want you to kind of step on their toes and they think, you know, it, it's very based on years of experience rather than capability, which is, you know, it's the old school mentality of thinking. And even my dad, when I left Main Road, was like, don't leave Main Road. you got a comfy job, you know, you've been given this opportunity and it's like, nah, trust me, it's all good. We'll figure it out. And went to the next job. And then the same deal when I left to make to go to Sydney Port, you know, there was hesitation. But you just got to believe in yourself and go to the next level and you just, you just run with it. But it was funny, the difference between being 21 and 23 and being told, like you're saying, yeah, to slow down versus here's a, here's a big team, here's a big capital expenditure program and deliver it. Just give it a shot so yeah it's it's but queensland airport so i basically migrated from a public company a public um authority being mm-hmm. main road through to sydney ports which was it was great learning experience as well but it was quasi um government so it was a, a state-owned corporation and then to queensland airports which was purely privately owned and they, and I should say as well, I was lucky as well, like, um, they all sponsored me through. I, I also did a master's degree at, um, the University of Southern Queensland in engineering, um, master of engineering there as well. And I was lucky enough to have, um, those corporations and companies sponsor me through all those as well, which was good. Yeah, and did you realise that was sort of the the nature of government before you got into it and you sort of thought, I'll, I'll do a little bit of time and, you know, they're kind of flexible and then I'll move on or, or you didn't realise then when you got there, you're like, I don't want to sit and wait for years to earn my stripes? Uh, I signed a contract with Main Roads when I just turned 18. Well, I might even mean 17 still at the time, but I think I must have just turned 18. And at the time, I had no idea what engineers did really like I did um when I was at school I did a couple of subjects at Griffith Uni is um a guest program you get to do some uni subjects and mm-hmm. I chose some that would set me up for engineering and I got direct entry to engineering but you don't really understand what engineers do and when you you're that young and you're signing a contract which was technically for nine years so it was four years at uni plus five years after you um you're not really thinking what you're locking yourself in for for, for that period of time and so you know, I think Maynard's is, I, I loved it because I got really good experience because mm-hmm. they rotated me through lots of different areas and I wouldn't have gotten an ad opportunity, but at my pace, like I've always done things that, you know, in parallel, so studying and working, I think I would have been bored if I was just working there, um, but because I was doing my degrees at the degree at the same time, it made sense to, to work there and I'd recommend to any student, you know, if they have an opportunity like that to take it because you do learn a lot in those um, kind of government authorities, but you know, when if if you're looking to lock yourself in long term, you definitely got to consider, you know, that there are you, you can't predict what's going to happen further down the track. Yes, yeah, so, so I mean, at 18, you're basically signing a, a contract for what at that point is 50% of your life, right? Like, so a nine-year contract when you're 18. 
is sort of half your life. So again, were you? Did you finish that? Was it the sort of the five years you did after graduating, or you sort of were able to get out of that slightly early? No, I pay my I was paying my notes back, so I just offered to pay back what they'd sponsored me for. Oh, okay, so sort of like a buyout exit clause type thing. Yeah, yep, that's right. So, well, you sponsored me through this, and um, you know, I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, if I've got opportunities elsewhere, and if I'm able to seize an opportunity that's not going to, you know, be, it's just a different mentality. Like, mm. you know, run your own race. Yeah, and, and I can imagine why the people around you are saying sort of you're crazy. Not only are you giving up a sort of a stable thing, but you're even paying to to give it up as well, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, so it sort of feeds into the next question, which I guess you've partially answered. But, you know, so what made you want to strike out and start your own business? Um, was there something specific when you sort of registered the entity or when you first kind of really um, focused on it and... And what was the first initial 12 months like? The reason that I started it was just because I was yeah, young and I wanted to do my own thing. And my mates and I had always joked at uni about me having my own company, but, you know, starting it up. And even at uni, when we were um, studying, say, structural analysis, I was always looking around to see if we could you know, get, if we could do work for people then and start consulting the people. I obviously hadn't been chartered and things like that, but I was always talking to other people that were engineers and saying, oh, if I do this work, can you sign off on it? Things like that, just because I wanted to learn all different types of engineering, whether it was designing someone's backyard deck or through to designing major bridges and buildings, whatever it had, you know, whatever it happened to be. So one of the reasons was just flexibility and getting to work on whatever I want and just learning lots of random different disciplines. And the, the other one was just getting to start something from scratch. So I like, I like the grind, essentially, and love engineering. And did you find that you were a bit unique in that sense? Like you're an engineering student, but then you're kind of like networking and looking at business opportunities and sort of bouncing around and, and sort of hustling and, and sort of were your other, again, 20-year-old engineer, and you're also working um, at the same time, were your other engineering students thinking you're a bit sort of crazy or they sort of, some were similar, like your sort of friendship circle was similar? No, most of my mates were just playing computer games and chilling. <laughs> That's about it. I was, um, yeah, I was, I was basically just getting as much experience as I could out of my belt to earn money. I was into cars back then as well, so I was spending most of my money on cars, and um, yeah, it just funded the lifestyle that I was after. So most of them were chilling. At, some of their parents, one one of my mates' parents, his dad owns an engineering company, so mm-hmm. he he just used to do work experience with his dad, and he, he was very very smart guy. He's a very smart guy. But they, they didn't necessarily have to work for, you know, through it. But I started working when I was 14 at 100 Jacks and Woolworths. So my, always, my parents always made me have to go get a job. Did you ever have little sort of uh, kid businesses? Like you mentioned, like, I mean, buying and selling stuff or doing, like, services for your neighbours or any of that sort of thing? Nah, I wasn't that tricky. <laughs> Wasn't that tricky. I, while I was working at Main Road, I was also a bouncer on the weekends, but that was about it. Okay. 
And, and so, if I understood correctly, you kind of registered the entity, I guess, with the idea that if you got a gig, you could sort of invoice clients and, and do it properly, but you didn't actually take on any real clients for the first couple of years, is that right? I didn't start trading until 2014, so because I took the role at Queensland Airport, I basically uh, put the company on the back burner for mm-hmm. three years while I did that role, just to get experience, really, because I knew that I would not be offered an opportunity like that again at that age. Like, it was just very, very random, and the, the, the CEO slash managing director just liked me, and when they asked what the company did, and I just said, you know, I'm happy to close it if you have an issue, and the managing director basically just told me that they want someone with entrepreneurial spirit to run their planning and projects team at Queensland Airport. So I was like, that's great. So they said, don't don't worry about shutting it down in the longer term. You know, you can go do your thing, but come get experience and help, help run this. And I just, I ran it in a different way because I've done so many different random things at Sydney, uh, Sydney Port Corporation where I got to learn lots of different areas that uh, I was able to bring like a, an unbiased, unprejudiced set of um, you know methodologies. Of the, the managing director could shape me how he wanted to, and I was able to run run the team how how he wanted to and learn from him as well. But also at the same time, bring my flavour and energy to the team. Yeah, and I mean, it's not a normal association people would make with an airport and engineering. People would imagine it's very sort of cautious and structured and slow, but then it sounds like the owner, MD, sort of wanted a bit of an entrepreneur to sort of treat it like a sort of self-contained business unit. Is that right? And then you to sort of run it um, with a business and commercial mindset. Is that unusual or is it it was just him? Uh, usually you'd have people come up the ranks as senior project managers and then move into infrastructure roles, but the, it's random how I ended up going. So the reason I ended up going from ports into airports was he started his career in ports and he ended up, um, relatively young being a general manager at Cairns Airport. And so he saw himself in me, I believe, where... He started out as an engineer working around in different random things and moved into that kind of airport space. But the the, kind, the general manager role that I had there was of planning and projects. So I sat with, um, there was a CFO, general counsel and company secretary, myself running planning and projects. And then there were the COOs running each of the different airport companies. So Gold Coast, Council, Mount Isa and Longreach Airport. And so the, the company that I was running um, at the time, Cold Services was set up to be at the time uh, internal consultancy, essentially. Mm. And so, and then you made the jump, right? When you went to Melbourne, that's when you put your full time focus on the business. Yeah. So I moved to Melbourne, and the day after I finished at Queensland Airport, I started a secondment with Virgin Australia as an airport development manager. So they were your first client? Like you were billing them, basically? Essentially, they, they were the first. I'd done a little couple of side projects. on. Uh, so I gave nine months' notice to Queensland Airport before mm-hmm. I left. And so uh, in that time, I'd started to do little projects for Rio Tinto, for um, Altran, uh, our Siona, on um, Royal Solar Farm. So I certified the structural and geotechnical design. For, it was at the time Australia's largest solar farm. And uh, what else was there? 
was doing, yeah, just little bits and pieces, you know, small residential jobs, etc. And, and so what was that like, that first experience? You're finally free, you've been sort of itching to be an entrepreneur for sort of half a decade leading up to it or even maybe, you know, more. Um, and then you're finally sort of there and you're free and you're in a new city. I mean, how did the first kind of 12 months of just proper business trading and, and management look like for you? I ended up back in Queensland. Virgin's head office is in Queensland, so I just did FIFO and I was okay. in Melbourne on the weekend. <laughs> so they were like, you've moved to Melbourne and you're back in Queensland. <laughs> I, um, yeah, that, that, I was a bit Virgin um, as airport development manager then program manager. And it, was, it was a good experience, but at the same time, I was doing a lot of networking at night time and on the sides and building other clients. So I was doing a fair bit of travel. So Virgin went for a few months and then after that, um, it was exciting. And, you know, I stacked my money on edge so I didn't have to stress about cash flow, which was good. And essentially, I just was able to set up systems, processes, and make sure that any work that was coming through was to very high quality. So how quickly did you sort of uh, hire staff and, and start building up a team? So I hired uh, my first drafter probably three months after we started mm-hmm. and he got seconded onto a project in Barrie in New South Wales. And basically after that, I brought out our first graduate engineer after a year. And so there was three of us, including myself, after one year. Mm-hmm. And then I got seconded onto another big highway project as a design manager and that was a $580 million project where I was basically driving from Melbourne to Barrie every week and so uh, while I was on to comment there I employed two more senior engineers and another graduate engineer so the team was sitting at about what's that six of us Mm -hmm. within a year and a half and then I brought on a manager of corporate services who looked after everything non-engineering and um, so by 18 months we had seven and then we hovered from that seven to ten range for about you know a year and then at the moment we're sitting at 18 people. Yeah and and this is um, why you've hit the Fin Review fast starters list because you grew 97% your revenue last financial year basically doubling and getting up close to sort of $900,000 a year turnover. Um, and obviously, again, your team size is scaled up. So, so was there something big that came through that drove that growth or something you did differently? Uh, in terms of driving that growth, it's been planned and made to ensure it's sustainable. So we don't have any debt. The company's mm-hmm. purely run on equity. And it's just been a matter of employing the right people. So it's 97%, you know, it's off a relatively low base. And we've been more than doubling our revenue pretty much every financial year. Mm. So this this next one will also be targeting probably around 80% growth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's as the base is getting higher, there's lower percentages. But, uh, yeah, it's... It's really about just getting the right people. So I've just gotten to the stage now where I've changed my title, for example, from director to managing director to signal to people that I'm no longer going to be doing all the secondment mm-hmm. in the companies and that I'm more starting to work on the business rather than in the business as much. And I've got a management team. So mm-hmm. I've got uh, 
essentially six managers, and we've now structured the business to have different disciplines of engineering. So we've got civil, we've got two structural teams, an electrical team, and a, a CAD, like a computer-aided design drafting and BIM, building information modeling team. So I've got that structure now so that I can start building on each of those individual streams and, um, and, and you know, getting the man- teaching the managers how to build their own kind of uh, market within each of those streams and building their own teams. And so it sounds very organised and sort of structured, but when you're, you're sort of doubling your, your revenue, like you said, you'd been doubling, but obviously the last year jumped nearly half a million, um, and your headcount as well, just the, it's sort of exponential, I guess, the complexity that comes with doubling, but um, did you find some growing pains in going from this sort of smaller to a more structured and bigger and segmented sort of business? Being engineers, we're very systematic. So we've got an integrated management system, which is certified to the international standard 9001, to the, uh, which is the quality, mm-hmm. the 14001 for environment and OHSAS, 18001 and 4801, which are all boring standards. They're so, so boring, but um, they're really important to make sure that they're part of our system so that we comply with relevant legislation. And it gives a framework for consistency of delivering our services. So while in terms of growing pains, the growing pains are having more written procedures and learning what we don't have consistent yet. So, you know, even down to the business side of things, making sure that invoicing processes are written down instead of just, you know, when you have project managers that are running their own projects, you you don't want to be mucking up invoices going to clients. So Mm. it's those kind of things that you haven't thought of or that I hadn't thought of before that, before when I was doing it all made sense and I could review everything but now it's so busy that I don't have time to review everything so the growing pains are around some of the processes but uh, having the IMS framework integrated management system is making it easy to bolt on additional processes. Yeah and I think you're you're right on point there that it's that sort of I guess process orientated thinking and training that you've got as an engineer that actually lends itself very well to sort of business growth and sustainable sort of business management um, because a lot of businesses grow quickly and then sort of collapse under their own weight because they sort of, you know, trip over themselves and everything kind of goes haywire once they uh, scale up in complexity. All right, so it's yep. good to hear you've sort of you've managed the growth. Obviously, again, you're itching to do the business. You got the business; it's sort of growing well. Um, so, I mean, on a day to day basis, are you? I mean, essentially, a consulting firm, like you're sort of providing a lot of advice, or you're also um, doing a lot of on site sort of, um, like you said, secondments. Um, how's the sort of split of work and, and for someone maybe or the listeners who don't have much of an engineering background, um, what does the sort of day-to-day look like for the sort of the members of your team and yourself? So 75% of our business would be engineering design. So that's where we sit in the office doing calculations, making sure that structures will stand. So mm-hmm. say a recent project we worked on was the fit out of Gucci and Collins Street where they were modifying the building so we calculate what loads are changing and make sure that it all complies with Australian standards and help the 
builders come up with temporary propping solutions to make sure that the rest of the building can operate during construction. We design runways, we design highways, yeah, lots of infrastructure, maritime ports. Uh, what it looks like on a day-to-day basis, other than sitting in the office and doing calculations, is the guys, girls will go out and do lots of site inspections to make sure that what we're looking at in the office is buildable or that what we've designed has been built correctly. Uh, we spend a lot of time with clients looking at concepts, strategizing ideas, and, and yeah, really just helping each other uh, deliver projects so with all the different strains. A lot of the projects that we work on are, are large, so they have different disciplines of engineering that need to help each other. So civil engineering is like a major discipline and structural is a subset of that, geotechnical is a subset of that, mm-hmm. traffic engineering. Um, all different types where our team help each other out. Okay. And, yeah, probably the, the rest of it is around asset management or contract administration, so actually supervising builders or um, contractors on site and administering contracts to make mm-hmm. sure that the client gets the end product that uh, has been specified. Okay, and, and so something that a lot of smaller sort of new businesses tend to struggle with is, I guess, building trust with their clients and sort of competing against the incumbents and the established well-known sort of brands. Um, like a lot of these projects are obviously very large, sort of hundred millions of dollars or billions in massive infrastructure. How did you sort of find it, um, the process of getting you know, new clients when obviously they know you're smart and, and skilled, but you're competing, I imagine, against larger established engineering consultancies? And, and how do you sort of uh, communicate or convince them why you're different or what you're going to do better than um, the bigger guys? I would say our biggest growth has been due to, uh, and our point of difference is being able to work with contractors. So most of the larger consultants want the low-risk projects where they're working for the government directly on traditional design projects, but we do a lot of design and construct projects. So that's where the government will go out to tender with large companies such as Fulton Hogan, John Holland, CTB, mm-hmm. lease companies like that, and we actually team up with them to help with design management and we'll actually design packages for them as well. So those sorts of clients are more after timely service, good rates, and you know a product that's buildable. So engineers that are more flexible. You'll find engineers in the large companies are a lot more risk averse. So not saying that we don't we design to the same standards, mm. but they they go through a lot more. I guess, uh, processes where there might be someone who has different opinions internally and they may be over-designing, for example. So Mm -hmm. when we help with design management, we'll actually work with the larger consultants to squeeze the design to be closer to the limits of the standard but still exceeding the requirements of standards. Okay, so there's... That's where a lot of growth has come from is, yeah, helping contractors. So it's finding that niche and that gap, I guess, where your clients are sort of frustrated that the people they're working with or the alternatives aren't getting done what they need for their own, maybe, how they're set up, and then you're coming in and saying, oh, we can do that, we can be agile and fast, and we can handle that, and then that 
is what sort of makes people say, oh, really? And, and then they are happy to go with you. Yeah, well, I think for the larger consultants, these projects where you're working with BNC contractors, are relatively, for them, the projects are small. Mm. And for us, they're relatively large. So while they might not be getting the attention that they deserve on those projects because the, the big, big consultancies are taken up leading designs for the government's massive projects will come in and for us they're relatively significant projects where they're getting a lot more attention and focus and they're getting our A team so because we're not too big we're able to our, our team everyone in our team is awesome and mm. so uh, essentially we're able to make sure that the clients are getting the A team not the Z team. And what about in terms of hiring as well? Sometimes as a new business, it can be tough sort of, you know, because you don't have that same well-known brand in your industry. Um, how do you go about sort of hiring and, and getting these really great young engineers as well as experienced engineers on board? Nearly everyone's a mate of a mate or a mate. So it's just paying through connections, really. Mm-hmm. So the first, one of the first senior engineers, Korea. I used to live with one of his friends in Sydney and he shared the out on Facebook. And so that's how he came on board. And then the first drafter, originally he was the friend that I'd worked with at SMEC. And then the next graduate engineer was a friend of a friend, another grad. They're, they're all, it's all just who you know. Mm. All right, and so you've done quite a lot of projects. Do you have sort of a, a favourite, kind of most unusual sort of project that maybe you like to bring out at dinner parties or when, like, is there some very strange or maybe thing that people might not expect that you've done? Uh, not specifically. I've, we've worked on just so many random projects that uh, dinner parties. I haven't had time to have a dinner party yet. <laughs> 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 I wish I... I've got three young daughters with my wife, so I pretty much spend time with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. Um, so, so sort of stepping back a bit um, from in the bigger picture, I mean, you're obviously involved in these big-scale things and you've sort of got the entrepreneurial mindset. Um, how do you sort of see entrepreneurship in Australia at the moment? Maybe, you know, what's Australia doing well and, and what could it do better? I Thing from the entrepreneurial opportunities, like I was having a look the other day and the government seemed to have some good grants for different state-by-state um, opportunities and uh, we're looking at setting up an R&D company called NGSeq at mm-hmm. the moment to actually deliver products. So uh, JJ Ryan Consulting is obviously a consulting firm and we've got 13 different research and development projects in the pipeline that we've been working on. And obviously, people don't want to buy from a competitor, so we're looking at actually you know, commercialising products through a separate company. And as part of that, there's the R&D tax incentive, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else? Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, there's in terms I, like when I was younger, I joined the MAICD just to get an idea around governance in companies as we grow. And so I've always done a lot of research into how to set companies up and mm-hmm. uh, at Queensland Airports I was lucky to get business planning experience which was nice for all their different companies I used to sit on on that but in terms of government support for uh, entrepreneurs in Australia or, or what trends there are for entrepreneurs in Australia um, yeah I don't, I don't really have much comment to be honest other than that no that's okay 
Um, and, and so you've mentioned a little bit about sort of your um, what you were doing when you were younger and how you sort of thought through the different options. Uh, if there's a you know an 18 or 20 year old person at the moment who's studying engineering or maybe they're interested in engineering and and um, business or something like that, what would you sort of what advice would you give them looking back now and the sort of journey that you've made? I would just say work hard and it'll pay off. If you think that you're working fruitlessly, you're not, and people will notice. If you if you put in the effort, you know, even if at the time it doesn't seem like it's being recognised, you just gain significantly more experience and you're able to accelerate your career. Yeah, no, that's very true. All right, and, and so again, you've mentioned you're very systematic in your growth and you've planned things out and your systems. What about looking forward the next five, ten years um, for your business and your product sort of uh, subsidiary? What what sort of goals or vision do you have for the future? So our goal is to grow JJ Line Consulting to approximately 120 people over the next probably, say, seven to ten years. Mm-hmm. So it's just continued growth and working our way up the, the value chain of engineering in terms of we're now getting pre-qualified with different government authorities. We're on, uh, pre-qualified with Main Roads Queensland, with RMS in New South Wales and good government clients and just getting bigger and better projects and continue delivering quality services essentially and making sure that we keep hiring the right people and get the right culture through the company which we have at the moment. So the culture at the moment is people work hard and also have fun and we make sure that we pull together as a team to get to get everything across the line. Okay. And, and is there a reason why sort of 120 or that's sort of just within sort of eyeline distance and it's reasonable and sensible or is it just um, a particular reason why you're looking towards that number? Just an S-curve that my wife developed when I originally had my forecast, she said, why are you working your butt off for this this amount, for, for this kind of growth, when I had anticipated probably 40% of that. And basically, at the moment, we're sitting on that S-line that she drew. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not looking too bad to reach that at the moment. But yeah, my wife's the driving force in the backbone of this. <laughs> okay. So is she sort of working in the business or sort of just providing support and sort of high-level um, help? She is now working in the business. She's a super smart lawyer. Um, so she was working with Morris Blackburn in class action, and she's recently come on board now. She's working as company secretary and general counsel for us. So she um, she's very switched on, and I'm very lucky to have her. Oh, nice. Um, and what about, um, you mentioned sort of products. Can you expand a bit in sort of layman's terms on that? Is that like sort of in terms of software and modeling products or what does the sort of engineering product look like? So the, the main one that we've focused on at the moment, I've just had a student from Griffith University work on for four months, is essentially developing a product to undertake airspace assessment. So airports in Australia have invisible surfaces in the sky for airplanes to maintain safety mm-hmm. and distances from buildings and cranes and things like that. So we're essentially developing a product which will assess developers wanting to put up tall buildings, crane operators wanting to put up cranes and temporary obstructions, and people using UAVs to make sure that airports remain safe. And so at Sydney Airport, for example, 
have over a thousand crane applications a year. At the other major airports, there's you know hundreds of crane applications a year as well. And essentially, the the goal is to create a product that makes it easy for developers, crane operators, drone operators, and the airports themselves to keep the air safe. So, I mean, is it like a sensor, or I mean, is it is it, or it's it's sort of the devices that communicate to each other based on the airspace? I'm just trying to sort of visualise. I, I mean, Sorry, obviously, no. no, that's right. Essentially, no. It'll be a bit of software that looks at the terrain. So we'll have mm-hmm. survey data which says how high the terrain is. We we actually model OLS, which is the the generally the lower surface, which is the obstacle limitation surface, mm-hmm. and from there we can essentially look at what the clearance is from the ground to mm-hmm. that invisible surface. And then if the building is coming anywhere near that surface or if a crane's going to penetrate it, we can essentially, um, our plan is to be able to help airports undertake the assessment. So in, at the moment, they all employ internal, they generally employ internal staff to do those assessments. And so our goal would be to essentially take over um be able to outsource that role to us and use our software to make it more efficient. So it's sort of a manual process at the moment, like a manual judgment call and analysis, and you're looking to use software to make it a lot easier and more efficient, like create software? Okay. At the moment, they like use static plans, so they might have a contour map that says this is 50 metres here, and then someone might go and look up Google Earth and try and figure out what the terrain is and then there's all sorts of margins of error and it can get quite complex in calculating mm. what what the clearance is. So we will develop a system where we know how accurate it is and we'll be able to factor that in and quickly turn around crane permits because for crane operators, say, for example, in Sydney or Melbourne, wherever, they want to get in and get it done pretty quickly, the, the heavy lifts. So we'll be able to help turn those around faster as well. And we, we also do um, airspace risk assessment. So if um, if there's a tall building that's penetrating that surface, we, we can help look at what the risk is uh, for aviation operations. Okay. So, so in my experience, I mean, it's quite rare for a sort of service-based consultancy to, to get into the software business unless their service is basically software development. Um, how did you sort of... I mean, you just saw it as a business opportunity to add the product and a, or what sort of prompted that or you've got an interest in that sort of technology as obviously as it's your sort of day-to-day work as well? I wish I knew how to code. That would be so cool. I started learning it and then I realized that I'm too busy. <laughs> so um, I would love to build the product myself, but I've more mapped out the architecture of it. And I have a friend who's a software engineer that I try and bounce off as much as possible. But in terms of branching into these, products, the point of it is to move away from just being a traditional service-based consultant Mm. to developing something where they're going to have a consistent baseline. And that first product that we're talking about is very scalable because the International Civil Aviation Organization has OLSs for the airports all around the world. So if we are able to get this product working in Australia, we'll be able to expand it quickly. In terms of the actual technical software engineering side, I think we've got a lot of smart people in-house that understand programming and things like that. I'd, I'd need a, um, a full-stack developer, essentially, to help actually develop it to uh, market. But in terms of the 
we're able to do most of that in-house. Yeah, and I, you touched on a point that I just want to cover briefly, sort of that international expansion. So, I mean, is your international expansion sort of in terms of obviously licensing and selling the, the software all over the world or also in terms of consulting services outside Australia? It is consulting services outside of Australia. So if I, if you want to go into technical detail, so there's actually two types of services. There's the OLS, which is the obstacle limitation service, and there's one called PANZOP. So an OLS is like a generic uh, surface applied to every airport based on the type of aircraft that are landing. There's only four different codes of aircraft that, that land for the runways. And based off that and the runway length, and the alignments of the runways, they develop these services. The next most complex one is called PANSOPS, which is Procedures for Air, Air Navigation. So that um, that surface is actually like a road in the sky. And so in Australia, there's only four companies qualified to be able to design PANSOPS. So part of the strategy is to be able to expand with this product internationally and then cross-sell our services with JJ Run Consulting to be able to design PANSOPS maybe in developing countries where you don't need that same certification and you can get the experience. Because we have the experience in how of people that can do that. We just don't have the Australian licence and it's a big barrier to entry, which is understandable. There's mm-hmm. a lot of regulation around it. But with this product, if we're able to get designing pans up and on paper the experience that, that Air Services Australia and CASA need, then we can further develop the consulting side as well as you know, have a good baseline revenue with the product side. So is that kind of almost maybe like a 20-plus year vision is to be sort of like, again, a leading global uh, service and software company? Our goal in 10-plus years is to be in what's called the engineering news record, top 500 engineering companies. Mm-hmm. So AFR Fast Starters List is kind of like a starting point, gives us a bit of recognition on what we're building Yeah, and I remember a lot of the big Australian engineering companies being in the Philippines and around Asia and doing a lot of stuff there. So, um, no, it's definitely an excellent goal, and I look forward to checking in with you in the future and seeing how you're tracking towards that. Thanks for that. Um, no, I appreciate it. Are there any other final comments or thoughts or anything you'd like to pass on just before we finish up? Uh, no, not specifically. <laughs> if there's anything else you'd like to ask, yes. Yeah feel free but um yeah thanks for your time and the opportunity to give a bit of background on me i probably talked a lot of uh gabble but <laughs> hopefully um you know if there's any other young entrepreneurial spirited people out there that are thinking about engineering and getting into it i'd, I'd say it's an awesome career yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think two or three of the people I've already interviewed were former engineers with a very entrepreneurial passion, and they sort of uh, quit the engineering to do sort of a different business. But it's interesting, you've had that combination, and obviously they're not mutually exclusive, so you can say, well, I still like business, so why not combine both, rather than just saying, oh, I'm sick of being an engineer and I'm going to do some other business and keep the sort of skills and process thinking I learned. But... um 
yeah, so for people that like engineering and still want to do it as a business, it's, um, yeah, I think a lot of really good content and general sort of career advice as well on for anyone with uh, ambition and the desire to sort of move quickly and do big things. doing it yeah absolutely so thanks a lot for your time jason cool no i think that okay thank you for listening i would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in itunes and leave a review better yet tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404 689 897. Thank you.